Welcome to The John Chapman Show, where we talk about the path of a wealthy millennial, uncovering the truth about building and protecting your nest egg. Join us on this journey as we hear the stories of millennials and mentors alike to help you plan, manage, and protect your wealth. John is an employee of WorthPoint LLC. All opinions expressed by John and podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of WorthPoint. This podcast should not be relied upon for investment decisions and is for informational purposes only. Hey everyone, John Chapman. Thanks for joining us for the podcast. Today we interviewed Natalie Shaw, a friend of mine and a real estate agent in the Orange County, Newport Beach area. It's the spring of 2019, and that means the real residential real estate is picking up. People are buying or selling, maybe it's changing jobs or moving to a new area or school district or even just having children. So I wanted to have Natalie to provide her perspective. For those of you, maybe it's your first time buying a house. Maybe you lived in your home for a number of years and are looking to make that next move up to provide for your family. Whatever the case is, this is a great episode to listen to. We talk in depth about what you need to do to get your ducks in a row, and that starts with the pre-approval process. We talk about some of the negotiations that happen, dating a neighborhood, what you need to budget for this process, and the importance of working with a real estate agent to make sure that this uh, that your that your needs are met, whether or not you're a buyer or seller. So, this is a great episode. Hope you enjoy. And with that, I'll bring in Natalie. All right, great. Well. Today, we've got Natalie Shaw with us, everybody, for the podcast. Natalie is a real estate agent, and because it's spring 2019 and uh, it's busy season for real estate agents and anyone that's going to be changing jobs or looking for a new area, maybe they're in search of the right school district or whatnot. So I really wanted to bring Natalie on to give us a perspective for those that are looking for homes. So Natalie, thanks for being here. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. So what, what's this season like? Have you felt a big pickup now that it's the springtime of people trying to buy and sell their homes? Yes, the level of activity in the marketplace has definitely increased, and that's with both buyers and sellers. So what type of, uh, for those that might be um, outside of our area, what, where do you practice and what are the kind of areas, uh, the, the location that you're practicing? Sure. I am affiliated with Pacific Sotheby's in Newport Beach, California, and the areas that I mostly work are in Orange County, and that is Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, Corona Del Mar. I do a little bit in Irvine, and I've also represented some sales and buyers in Laguna Beach. Cool. How long have you been involved in being a real estate agent? So I actually got my license when I was finishing up my undergraduate degree at USC. So I've been a licensed realtor since 2010. However, I've been doing real estate full-time for about five years now. Okay, cool. Well, that's great. I'm sure a time when you've seen real estate prices, especially in Orange County, increase dramatically. I don't even know what the percentage is, but easily 25% in that time, maybe 50 or 100% even. So you've, you've oh gosh, quite, a, yes. quite an upspouring, right? We have. The market is really favorable at the moment, but prices have definitely increased within the past couple of years. 
So I think for today, one of the things I want to make sure to talk to is for those of us, um, maybe our, our contemporaries or our colleagues, uh, some of which have already bought a home. So maybe they're going to move after three or five years or, or others that are still saving for a down payment. I want to walk through some of the things from your perspective that they need to be thinking about, you know, some of which are getting your ducks in a row, some of which is the pre-approval process, dating a neighborhood and, you know, looking at sites like Zillow and Redfin. So there's a ton of stuff that we can cover today. But maybe if we can just start from the beginning, like if a, if a couple is looking to buy their first home, what are some of the things that they can do to get their ducks in a row for that purchase? Absolutely. If I was working with a couple who was interested in purchasing a home, I would recommend the first thing they do is meet with a loan broker. And that way they can assess what price point they're looking to stay within, map out kind of a financial plan in terms of identifying what they'll be paying in property taxes and really just making sure that they get a nice parameter of what price point that they can stay in and feel comfortable purchasing in. Okay. So meeting with a loan broker, you would say like one of, you know, one of the first steps that they need to be considering. Absolutely. So I think about like, um, so would that be if maybe step one is meeting with a real estate agent and then step two is meeting with a loan broker, just because I, I like, I, when I think about a loan bro broker or something, I think about a big bank, but maybe they're not the best people to go to. So <laughs> for, for loan, for, for get qualifying for your first home loan, do you usually utilize big banks like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, or are you going through an independent person? You know, it really depends. Oftentimes people have a relationship with a either individual working at a bigger banking institution or a good alternative is to work with a loan broker as they can source several different interest rates and loan options that a larger lending institution may not have the resources to do. Okay. So if the so meeting with the loan broker helps to assess your financial health. And then if I'm understanding it right, it's, it's helping you assess how big of a loan that you can qualify for. Is that the right way to be thinking about it? Correct. And that will definitely help you narrow down whatever goal you're trying to achieve for your own individual financial situation. And that way you can feel very comfortable in whatever type of property you're interested in purchasing. Okay. So you, you meet with the loan broker and I'm sure they're going to request documents, but, and the first thing that comes to my mind is like looking at your household income. So like looking at past tax returns and I'm, and without going super far into it, because that's probably the loan broker's deal, but like, is there anything else that the loan broker is super interested in seeing before they start talking about how big of a loan you can qualify for? So they will ask for your past tax documentation. They will also run a credit report for you because they definitely want to know where your credit stands. That's important in getting a loan. And with all of this information, they will be able to provide you with a pre-approval letter that will map out exactly what price point you are approved to purchase in. Okay. Gotcha. So they, there's, so like the end result of this is an actual document. Like if there's some tangible thing that you need to be getting from the loan broker, it's not just yes. a conversation. Okay. Got it. Correct. Okay. And so that's important so that this couple can then go take that. If once they want to make a, um, like an offer for a home, do you have to submit that with your offer? Like how does that come into play when you're starting to look for a home? 
So when you are going through the process of looking at different properties and you find one that you just absolutely fall in love with, it's best to go in with the strongest offer possible and having your pre-approval letter, if you're getting a loan, definitely sets your offer above the rest in terms of showing that you can perform to the seller. Okay. Gotcha. All right. This, uh, I might be getting ahead of myself. So at, at some point I'm interested to ask about from the seller's perspective, when they're looking at offers, what sort of the, the standard, um, the standard time frame is on closing on a house. Cause I've heard standard time frames of like 30 days, but you know, you hear stuff on the news of like, I can close in 10 days or things like that. So, um, <laughs> if we can, uh, we can circle back to that or touch on it now, but, uh, oh, we can touch I, on that now. Yeah. So what's the standard protocol for closing on a house in terms of time frame and in, ter- in, in terms of making an offer, do people normally make offers that have a reduced time frame? How do we think about that? So that's really situational. It depends on the type of offer that you're writing for a standard purchase with a loan. A good time frame is between 30 and 45 days. 45 days is what's oftentimes standard with getting a loan so that you can make sure that you have enough time to do your appraisal, get all the documents that you will be needing to provide to your lender and get approved. So 45 days is what we kind of put as a benchmark as the average time. Okay. Gotcha. And so that, that is the, just so I understand then the average time has more to do with doing the underwriting for the loan than having to do with anything associated to the seller, I guess. Correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what are some of the other things we've, let's say we've met with the the loan officer. We've got the uh, dollar amount that's available for a loan. And let me just use like $400,000. Right. And so, um, you know, you're qualified to borrow $400,000 based on whatever the criteria is. And if you're putting down $200,000 just as a pretend, so we're looking at homes in that $600,000 type range, just using that to play off of for our example, what's the next thing that this couple needs to be thinking about doing? The next step would be to look at as many types of properties that are currently active on the market. And that would be for multiple reasons. One, you would be forming a strong relationship with the realtor that you decide to work with. Two, that would be for narrowing down the different types of property that you may be wanting to purchase, whether that's single family, whether that's a condo, whether that property is located in a homeowner's association, there's all different types to consider. Yeah, got it. So then that, that brings up a lot in terms of how they how we can access because nowadays we've got Zillow, Redfin, in the past people didn't. So I'm assuming that most families are going to spend a considerable amount of time online before they start looking for homes, which is probably more net net a good thing, but uh, it, you know, looking at Redfin and Zillow doesn't always tell the full story. So beyond just looking online, <laughs> what are some of the pitfalls or things that you should you would recommend to people? You know, in terms of finding a, a home that fits their price range. Yeah, so online resources are wonderful to kind of get your feet wet with the process and really look at different types of properties available in different neighborhoods. However, I would say there's nothing like working with a realtor. And that's for many reasons. I think that there's a common misconception in the real estate industry that you'll get a better deal as a buyer 
if you go direct to the listing agent. However, I would discourage people from doing that because it's really important to build a relationship with a realtor as a buying agent and they'll have your back 110% throughout the transaction and they may point you in a different direction or point out different nuances in a neighborhood that you wouldn't have figured out otherwise. So I, I wasn't aware of that. Do you, do you find that it's more common than not that people that are looking to buy a home, they go to the listing agent as, as in order to help them? I mean, obviously, I'm sure they see, they see the home they want to buy. They see that it's on the market. Then they see the listing agent. So if they haven't yet got a real estate agent, is that what people are commonly doing is going toward, to the listing agent to help them buy the house? Yeah, you see that quite often. Um, I think it, you know, that's, can depend on several different factors, but a lot of people think that they'll get a better deal if they go direct to the listing agent. Okay. Um, one thing that's important to know for a first-time home buyer is that you don't pay any of the commissions. The seller of the property will pay the commission to the listing agent and to the buyer's agent. So it really is in your best interest, in my opinion, to form a relationship with a realtor and start from the ground up and get yeah. to know one another. And that way yeah. that individual can have your back throughout the course of the entire transaction and you'll have full transparency. Yeah, totally. I, now that I'm thinking about it, I could see that if I'm a buyer, having the listing agent also represent me creates like a potential conflict of interest that I, I, I wouldn't want. I, w I would want for my agent to help me buy the house and fight for me in the best way possible, whatever that meant. And, and, and the agents communicate with each other to try to negotiate the deal rather than just having one person. Then that, right, doesn't, doesn't that not put the, the listing agent in an awkward position if they're going to represent both the buyer and the seller? It definitely can. It all depends on the type of agent that you're working with. A really seasoned agent could probably handle that scenario just fine. But oftentimes, you know, you come across agents that aren't as seasoned as others and it can become a very tricky situation. Yeah. It would just be my recommendation to start with a realtor that's your own, um, go in and have them fully represent you and, you know, uh, negotiate the terms that work best for your situation and they'll have your back 110% throughout the entire transaction. One of the things you brought up too just now, if I can come back to it is the commission on buying and selling the home. And you said that the, that the commission goes to the, the selling, the listing agent or the selling agent, and then they split that with the buying agent. Am I saying that right? So on this uh, example home of $600,000. So when the buyer puts, the cash down, they've got their down payment and the loan, that's $600,000. And then the seller says, cool, I've got all this money. <laughs> then what happens to their $600,000 once they've sold the house? So the commissions come out of the seller's net proceeds and the seller is responsible for paying both the listing agent and then the uh, buying agent. Okay. And is that set as a... Um, like what are the commission percentages if I can ask and oh, how does absolutely. that vary? So they vary from state to state. For California, especially for Southern California, standard is between five and six percent, and that would be between two and a half to three percent going to the listing side, and then two and a half to three percent going to the buying side. 
However, okay. everything is negotiable. So that's not necessarily sure. always the case. It really depends on what terms the seller set forth in their listing agreement. So the, the seller, this, the commission is coming out of their, their proceeds of the house, but they're not actually physically pay, writing you a check, so to speak. No. The, the, that, that's handled all from within the escrow account? Correct. That's handled through escrow and it's signed off on by the seller. Okay. Yeah, I got you. All right. So if I back up and we have met with the loan broker, we started looking for homes. <laughs> you and I chatted briefly before this call about dating a neighborhood and some yeah. of the aspects that go into that. And this was one of those uh, unique things that my wife and I had to learn when we were starting to look for our first home is, uh, and I didn't think about this, it was told to us by our, by our agent at the time, was going to the neighborhood at different hours rather than just going to look when it was most convenient for me, going maybe in the morning, seeing what the morning traffic is like, seeing if there's any streets where you've got a school and there's this backed up traffic or at the end of the day when you see what the other families are like going home. So tell me about what it's like to date a neighborhood and some of the things you recommend. Of course. So once you've narrowed in on the community in which you want to purchase your home, it's very important to scout out the future neighborhood. And that would be, like you mentioned, visiting the property at different points in the day, early morning, after school pickup time, and in the evenings. You'll get a really good feel as to whether or not you like the location. And like you mentioned, if it's near a school or a busy traffic area, you'll know instantly kind of what the peak points of the day are for transit. And then you'll also get a really good feel of the type of demographic that lives in the neighborhood and who your potential neighbors may be. Yeah, that makes sense. So as I'm thinking about this, unfortunately, I, I know myself and unfortunately, I fall into a camp of uh, paralysis by analysis. So if I'm thinking <laughs> about dating different neighborhoods and if I think about engage, you know, engaging with a real estate agent and going through this process, one of the things that's coming to my mind through this conversation is just potentially the length of time that this could take from start to finish. So just some <laughs> should should which could turn off, I guess, new home buyers from wanting to engage in a, with a real estate agent by saying like, well, I don't know if I'm ready yet, or I still want to learn about these homes. So from a real estate agent's perspective, does it turn you off if a client is taking time to methodically go through this? You know, how far along in the process, or how early in the process should they be engaging with a real estate agent in terms of uh, you know helping with all of it? You know, that's a great question. I think that engaging with a real estate agent from the onset of your search is always a wise thing to do. As realtors, we don't look at it as, oh my gosh, we're spending a lot of time with this person and they're having difficulty making a decision. We want all of our clients to make the best decision that's for them. And if that means, you know, it takes a couple of months to a year, that's totally fine. Um, we and I think I speak for most realtors when I say this, we just want our clients to be happy with whatever home they end up purchasing. And there is real no set time frame for this process to take place. It, sometimes it happens quicker for others in terms of they stumble on a house that they just have to have and they're very emotional about it. And it, the whole process can be done in you know one to two months. Other times, it could take six months to a year to really finalize where you want to live, what type of home you want to purchase, 
and collecting all of that data before you go in and make an offer. Have you had clients that have taken more than one calendar year to buy a home? Let's say if they engage with you in the spring, do have things come up where they've done enough research or there's not been a home that they want and then it ends up taking one or two years? Yeah, we've, you know, I definitely see that. And I'm one client comes to mind in particular and it was super cute. It was their first home that they were purchasing and they'd kind of toyed around with the idea for about a year and a half. And then they found their home that they absolutely fell in love with. And we were able to write the offer, have it get accepted and close in 45 days. And they've been in their home now for about a year and very happy. And it's just, everybody kind of has their own timeline. So don't feel pressured that purchasing a home has to happen, you know, in two to three months. So one of the other stress points that comes up as I'm thinking about this is how much, well, first the emotion that goes into it. And obviously it's an extremely emotional decision because it's such a big decision to make. And one of the things my wife and I went through is trying to categorize how, how many years am I expecting to live in this house as my first home? So as a real estate agent, do you have a pulse on how many years a first time home buyer is going to be in that home? I'm sure there's no yeah, set, set average, but what's your pulse and for the clients that you've helped buy their first home, how long they've been in there? You know, it's very situational. However, I would say a good benchmark for a starter home is about three to five years. I think that's helpful because then it doesn't put as much weight. One of the things, as I said, paralysis analysis guy over here, <laughs> I was worried like worst case scenario, what happens if our job changes or the economy changes and I have to be in this house for 10 years. I went down a really bad rabbit hole when we were first starting to buy the house and I had to, had to change my perspective on it. But I thought, man, what if I should be here for 10 years? And it totally freaked me out. Yeah, so that could be really daunting. But I would say three to five years is a good time frame for, you know, your first time. Granted, things can come up where you may sell sooner than that, or you may love your home so much that you want to stay for a longer period of time. But that's the ballpark range we tend to give. I want to stay on the idea of being super emotional when buying a house. What are the things that as a real estate agent, are you having to, you're, you're part-time psychiatrist, part-time real estate. <laughs> so talk to me about the investor psychology and some of the things that you have to help clients with to keep their emotions in check. Oh my gosh. Well, it, it can be a little challenging. As you mentioned, I kind of put a different hat on and can be a psychologist for a couple of different aspects. But I would say most people get hung up on whether or not they have to undertake a huge remodel right away. And I think that brings up a good point. And when you're searching for your home, definitely weigh the pros and cons of finding a property that's either, you know, completely turnkey and ready to go, or if you want to undertake that project of a remodel because both are good options. They just financially may mean different things in terms of if you buy a house that is in need of work, you're going to have to set aside some extra hard cash to use probably sooner than you would if you bought a home that was completely turnkey. Yeah. Let's talk about that because the HGTV phenomenon has made people think that they're the new Chip and Joanna Gaines. Oh, and yeah. the reality 
he is, is that it is so hard, especially as somebody that's not super handy. You know, I see what I want, but I actually have no idea how to put it together. And so that, um, <laughs> and for, for my wife and I really influenced us and in how, what, what type of level of a home le- level, meaning how turnkey or not we wanted the house. So, um, do you find that people get overexcited on trying to be Chip and Joanna Gaines? <laughs> like, what's the what's the average person that's coming into looking to buy a house well, on the spectrum between DIY versus uh, completely turnkey? Where do you see that most people fall into? I think people tend to fall right in the middle. However, where it can get a little overwhelming is after your offer has been accepted and you're in your contingency period and doing all of your investigations you have a home inspection. And when that home inspection comes back, there's a bound to be some items that may (laughs) need to be repaired. And it can be a little daunting when you get the list and it's like, Oh my gosh, like this is what I'm buying. Like, is this what I really want to do? So, I mean, there's definitely things to think about, but you know, each person has a different preference. And I think there's something to be said about doing a little bit of work to your property because then you can make it truly what you want. Okay. So maybe expect to do some work on the house, even even if you're wanting it to be slightly more turnkey than not. Yes. I think there will be, yeah, yeah, there's probably going to be a couple of things that you're going to want to undertake once you become homeowners. And in talking about budgeting for that, are there any rule of thumbs that we can offer people in terms of the square footage? And so it's like price per square foot to do a little bit of upkeep or the size of the the value of the home and how much to set aside. Like what are some rule of thumbs to think about? Yeah, a good way of looking at what you would be spending perhaps on your home for over the course of a year is that you set aside a dollar per square foot. A so dollar you, per square foot. Yes. And that can be used, you know, for maintenance items, for repairs. If something comes up that you're going to need to fix, at least you'll have that money set aside. Gotcha. I'm thinking about, yeah, what the average square foot home is in Newport Beach. I'm sure it's larger than the country average. So <laughs> that's probably a decent dollar amount size. You know, if that's a, if that's a 2000 square foot house, a dollar per square foot is $2,000. Am I saying that right? You are. That's correct. <laughs> that's good math on a Friday. <laughs> so for, um, in terms of the, the ex- inspection. So when you, you put down, you find the house that you want, you put down your offer, the offer is accepted and then the inspections happen. Is there no way to do the inspections ahead of time? Cause I'm sure that's where they the deals are most susceptible to fall through maybe at that point where you like the home, but you actually haven't done like a look underneath the hood and that's why you have your inspection. So let's, let's explore that for a little bit. So when, you know, the, the, the inspection and you learn all of these things, I'm going to cut the recording there, Natalie. Sorry, I got a little yeah. tongue-tied. No, you're good. <laughs> we'll no worries. We'll think back again in a second. Uh, my, my brain was starting to think about all the things that come up for the inspection process. Yeah, so and to- I, have, uh, I have a couple of thoughts on that. I would probably say, recommend like to check a couple major systems right when you have, because everybody typically gets a home inspection. Then you would want to do, have a roof inspection, which is separate from your home inspection. And then you want to have a plumber come to the property and inspect the plumbing. And most importantly, which a lot of people don't really think about is the lateral line, which runs from your plumbing system 
to the sewer system. And oftentimes that gets overlooked. I know that's not exactly the most glamorous topic, but exactly. Yeah. I'm sure because I, I had never, you know, I, I hadn't even, I wouldn't have considered if I'm, especially if I'm a first time home buyer, I don't know what I don't know. And so, uh, you know, thinking about that just isn't on the normal. If we're thinking about doing an inspection, there's more than just one person that needs to come look at this home for us. So who are all the people that I need to hire and have come look at the house in order to have the best inspection possible? Yeah. So once your offer is accepted, you'll have a period of days that you can complete any buyer investigation that you want. And most buyers tend to get a home inspection. And I would recommend on top of a home inspection to have a roof inspection conducted as well as a plumbing inspection. And most importantly, have the plumber focus on the lateral line, which connects your home's plumbing system to the sewer system. And that can be oftentimes overlooked. And depending upon the vintage of the home, that could be a big cost that you may not have thought you would be incurring right after becoming a new homeowner. Do you you have an example in mind? Because especially for those who haven't bought a home yet, they don't know what they don't know. So they probably haven't thought to look at the lateral line. So is there... You've brought that up for a specific reason. So have you seen some horror stories in regards to that? Yeah, my sister actually bought her house. um, And once she closed escrow, her lateral line eroded and had a hole. And they you have to dig a trench from your front yard to the street and it replace all the piping and it can be a pretty costly undertaking. Ouch. Right off yeah. the bat. Ouch. <laughs> not, yeah. not, not a fun way to be. It. That's, that's, that's a, like a, a reality wake-up call when you buy yes. it. Yes. Welcome to home ownership. Exactly. Yeah, oh, my gosh. That, that hurts a little bit. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes me think about the neighbors there. Is any of that data public? So lateral lines. Um, I, I can recall a story in South Orange County where there was a you know a track of homes, and all of them seemed to be having issues with their lateral lines. And so you know, before if you're a if you're someone moving from out of town into that neighborhood, would any of that be public data that you can call on? So separate from just having your own inspection, is there any way that home buyers? should be looking? Is there, you know, is there any database that should be looking for to gain some of this information? Not necessarily online, but I would always recommend reaching out to the city in which you're purchasing because oftentimes they can have building records on file so or permits that have been pulled for the property. So you can kind of get a snapshot of the history of the home in which you're purchasing. I think that's a great point. So you're saying looking at the city records in terms yes. of uh, any permits that have been pulled and any work that had been done on this on this home. Yes. How common is it for people, and just in your experience, to not have permits pulled when they work on their house? It can be pretty common. A lot of people don't like going through the process of pulling permits because it can be quite tedious and then the city becomes your best friend because they're constantly inspecting whatever work (laughs) you're doing. So oftentimes people choose not to. It's not the end of the world if a permit isn't pulled on work that's done in a residence. Um, It can be a little more 
challenging in the terms of it wasn't signed off on. And if you go to sell that home later on down the road, you'll have to disclose that maybe this room was altered without permits being pulled. Yeah, I gotcha. So let's think of still, if we're in the, we've, we've made an offer, the offer's accepted. Walk us through that, that timeline again from offer being accepted until close. What are the things need to happen during that time? So the inspections are one. And then what are the things are you guiding the clients through when they buy the house? Right. So buyer inspections are one of the items. Um, the next thing you'll probably be having done if you are getting a loan is your loan broker will order an appraisal on the property. And that really will benefit you as the buyer because it establishes the purchase price at the time of your purchase. And um, it's always good to have that documentation because you'll get the exact square footage of the home. You'll receive comparable sales that pertain to your home. And then you'll have a solidified price. And then after the appraisal, it will be the loan contingency that you will be removing. And that basically means that your loan has gone through the underwriting process and was approved by the bank and you're approved to purchase the property. Okay. One quick, you, let me go back to the appraisal point. Let's, yeah. The seller is going to be listing the house for whatever they want to sell it for. Let's use 650000 as an example because the seller wants to maximize, obviously, the dollars. But are you saying that during the, the appraisal process, somebody can come in and say, well, technically, the home is worth some dollar amount that's different from what the seller wants to have? Am I saying that right? Is there friction in that moment when the appraiser is going to say something different from what the seller wants? That can happen. Oftentimes, a property will appraise for what it's in escrow at. So that's whatever price was negotiated between the buyer and seller. But there are times where an appraisal might come in under that value, at which point you as a buyer have the option to renegotiate the purchase price with the seller. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So then... The there's uh, and then the, the word contingencies come up. So can you redefine that for me again? Like what are the, you know, the all, all of the diff- are there multiple contingencies or what else? What is what what does that entail? Of course. So contingency basically refers to once your offer is accepted, there's a couple different periods within the escrow process in which you as a buyer have a right to do your due diligence. And let's say you've uncovered some information about the property that you may not like, you have the right within that negotiated time frame in a purchase contract to cancel the escrow and get your initial deposit back free and mm. clear. Gotcha. Okay. That's a critical point. Yes. So, okay. So there's some defined period of time where you put down an initial like is it called a good faith deposit? That was the words that are coming out of my mouth, but you've put down a deposit, but you can get that money back within those before the contingencies are lifted. Is it, is that right? That's a hundred percent correct. And you can get that money back and not, you know, be held to answer any questions. You can cancel, you know, if it's a buyer contingency in terms of investigations, you can just say, you know, something came up in the home inspection. I don't, want to fix it and I don't want to move forward with the property and you can cancel the escrow. Or if your loan can't be, you know, go through and you 
can't have it processed, you can cancel without being or running the risk of losing your initial deposit. I see. Are there, are there common break? So you said for, if your loan doesn't get um, approved or for funded, are there common reasons why the loan, because you've, you've gone through a pre-approval process before, but now you're actually doing the underwriting. So what might disrupt the loan from actually coming together and being fully provided? If you've been pre-approved, the chances of that happening are very, very, very slim. Um, okay. So that really shouldn't be something to worry about. That's only if you haven't done all of your due diligence leading up to writing your offer. Some yeah. people submit offers without being pre-approved, and then that's when they get into trouble because maybe they can't, in fact, qualify for a loan. Ah, that would be not good. Okay. Correct. Makes sense. Well, we've covered a lot and we've done a lot in terms of the getting your ducks in a row and what the um, approval process is, looking for the house and then sort of the, the escrow process. So just thinking of time, what are the other things that, that, that this new home buyer needs to be thinking about? Or is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you want to make sure to touch on? The only other thing I would make a point of mentioning before we go would be that Another thing that's great about getting pre-approved prior to really delving into your home search is that you can completely map out your finances in terms of insurance that you'll be paying on your property, um, property taxes, escrow closing costs. It's really important to get a big picture of the financial breakdown so that you're not alarmed once your <laughs> offer is accepted. And because I mean, yeah. there's escrow fees, there's fees that come up in the course of a transaction that you may not initially think of. And it's good to plan ahead and budget for those items. That's a really good thing. And that, that warms my heart as a financial planner <laughs> and somebody that loves doing the budgeting side. That, that warms my heart that you would say that. So thank you. Good reminder to the clients out there. <laughs> yeah, of course. Natalie, thank you so much for talking about this. I'd want to have you back on because there's a lot that we didn't cover, but um, is there anywhere that people can find out more about you in case they need a real estate agent in Newport Beach? Sure. So my um, cell phone number is 949-887-8443. And then you can go to pacificsotheby's.com and search Natalie Shaw and you'll find me and all of my contact information. Awesome. Thank you so much, Natalie. I really appreciate you being with us Thank today. you, John. Have a great Talk afternoon. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to The John Chapman Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. We encourage your questions, comments, and feedback. For additional information, check out thejohnchapmanshow.com or look for John on LinkedIn and Twitter. See you next week.